Okay. Okay. Oh, thank you. Too used to that now. Okay. Apologies for uh, the lateness. Um, so I'll get straight on uh, to the um, subject matter of today, which begins with the so-called mini budget. Um, it has to be said that uh, even in Tory terms, I mean, the Tories are meant to be a conservative party, uh, that what this budget represents, and it's been widely commented upon, so I'm not saying anything original here, is clearly a rejection of um, David Cameron, uh, Theresa May, Boris Johnson's uh, approach to the economy. And so what we have, again, I'm repeating what you all know, quasi-quartangs, um, 45 billion uh, tax cut. And all you need to do is look at, look at if, if you're working and not on a high wage, I've got it, this is being live streamed. Uh, it, it, all, all you need to do, you know, um, if you're on a low wage, is to have a look at what you're going to get in the way of this 45 million and what it will work out maybe, you know, be 70 pounds a year. <laughs> maybe if you're a bit better off, it will be, you know, in the hundreds. But of course, once you go to the um, higher uh, tax brands, uh, tax bands, and then you're definitely in, in, in the money, not that you're short of it uh, to begin with, but uh, then it's in the thousands. And uh, it then becomes something that you could go, well, yeah, maybe we could go on holiday um, on that tax cut. I mean, quite frankly, most people just won't uh, notice it. And, and as an extra bonus, what we've got is the top uh, tax band uh, is just simply um, abolished. And we've also got for good measure is the cap on bankers bonuses. Uh, that's gone as well. And I also read today uh, that Quasi is planning further uh, tax cuts and one doesn't need to be a genius to work out that this will be tax cuts uh, for the rich. And although it's been denied, what this is, uh, is a version, or maybe it's just straightforward and simple, just a version of this uh, so-called trickle-down theory. And that's the idea, the myth, of course, uh, that the wealth creators in society are the rich, the entrepreneurs, and uh, with all their extra money, what they do is they invest more in production and uh, they hire you as a building worker or as a, a butler or as a servant or whatever they do, uh, and uh, the wealth trickles down. Well, it's been tried and... I think most uh, bourgeois, bourgeois economists uh, now admit that uh, it, it don't work. What it does is it makes the rich richer and uh, the poor poorer. Uh, it, it's pretty straightforward. But of course, what we've got this time round um, isn't simply um, tax cuts uh, for the rich. What we've also got, because we're in the midst of this um, energy crisis that's mainly been caused by the uh, Ukraine war uh, is, well, we don't know what the total uh, cost will be. So I'll just bung in 100 billion uh, is the sort of sum that we should be expecting them to borrow. 
And of course, you know, a year ago, perhaps, um, you could say, well, borrowing is cheap. Well, of course, what's happening now uh, throughout the world, not least in Britain, uh, is that interest rates are going up and we would expect interest rates to keep going up. So what they're paying for borrowing now has gone from being relatively cheap uh, to an awful lot more um, expensive. And of course, what we've got with the um, cap on um, energy bills is a direct subsidy uh, to the energy companies uh, themselves. Um, how long that will last, uh, that's another question. Um, either way, uh, it's a hugely risky uh, strategy. Uh, personally, I, I really am not convinced, and I don't, I don't really, other than reading the Daily Telegraph and perhaps uh, the Daily Mail, uh, I don't know anyone who's actually convinced that this will work. And of course, what you've got in the Tory party itself, simply for the reasons I outlined at the very beginning, is a great deal of scepticism here. So what did Rishi Sunak describe it as, you know, um, dream, dream politics, dream um, economics? Um, you know, if it's anything, um, it's a sort of version of um, Keynesian um, a Keynesian stimulus uh, uh, package. Um, but anyway, I, 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 I'm, I'm not uh, convinced that uh, it, it will work. And indeed, if you look at the response, not of the Tory backbenchers, uh, but if you look at the response of uh, the markets, it hasn't sent the pound up, uh, quite the opposite, it's sent the pound down. Now that needs to be put in some uh, context, um, simply on the basis or with the um, Ukraine war, what tends to happen with such international disturbances is that money from all the way around the world um, floods into America. It goes in uh, to the dollar because America's got the aircraft carriers, it's got the ICBMs, it's the world's biggest economy, it's the hegemon power. Uh, so in terms of keeping your money safe, uh, you put it into dollars, you put it in uh, to the United States. So in part, the fall of the pound is the result of the rise of the dollar, but the pound is also falling full stop. So in terms of the markets, um, you know, there is some uh, talk of a run on the pound, for example. Now, that's just talk uh, at the present time. Um, nonetheless, what, what's the, the pound versus the dollar? Uh, One dollar uh, nine cents. Now, I'm old enough to remember uh, when the pound was um, one pound to three uh, uh, dollars, which shows you um, the decline uh, of Britain over the last 30, 40, 50 uh, years uh, or so. And of course, what we've got uh, accompanying uh, this uh, highly risky um, economic experiment is at the moment 10% inflation. Maybe that will peak at 11, who knows? You know, there's too many factors to, you know, to actually know. Um, nonetheless, inflation is at um, uh, a high uh, in British uh, terms. 
And of course, you know, the one of the reasons why I'm certainly unconvinced that this will work is that we are now officially told what we suspected or what many economists suspected is that Britain is already uh, in a recession. And what a recession is in, in their terms is two quarters uh, with so-called negative uh, growth rates. So we knew about the previous quarter and um, in terms of the, the present quarter, that's confirmed uh, that Britain is actually in the midst of a recession. So I know uh, when it comes to opinion polls, they're fickle and, um, you know, they're not the be all and end all. But what else have we got when it comes to the popularity of parties, governments, individuals and all the rest of it? There's been a slight tick uh, up um, in terms of Liz Truss and the Tories, but they are still way behind uh, the Labour Party. So roughly speaking, uh, the Tories are put on something like 30 percent Labour uh, on something like 40 percent. So it doesn't look like Liz Truss will get a honeymoon. I don't think many people expected a honeymoon. And if there was one, it would be very short lived. Therefore, at least I think we can reasonably safely say uh, that what Liz Truss will be doing is waiting for the last moment in 2024. So maybe autumn, maybe even later uh, before calling um, a general um, election. Um, and of course, what we've got accompanying uh, this economic experiment is not only 10% uh, inflation, um, but we've got a whole rash of strikes. Why? Uh, because the bosses mainly in the subsidized uh, sector, so that's uh, NHS, but also the rail companies, the so-called privatized rail companies rely on huge government um, subsidies in order to keep running. And what they've been told, at least by the old uh, transport secretary, uh, is that, you know, the offer is going to be two uh, percent. Well, that's asking people to take a savage uh, pay cut um, and that's after, you know, suffering uh, a real drop in living standards uh, during the period of the um, pandemic and lockdown and all the rest of it. But this this isn't some minor uh, um, drop in pay in real pay. This is a, um, a huge uh, drop in pay. So we should expect um, strikes um, that was always predictable and we should expect more. A strike. So next month uh, in October, uh, we've got RMT, we've got TUSA, uh, we've got ASLEF, we've got Unite, and we've got all sorts of other uh, trade unions um, balloting uh, for strike action. So it will be um, a winter uh, or an hot autumn, winter of discontent, call it whatever you will from history or your Shakespeare. Um, but also what we're told in uh, the so-called mini uh, budget by Kwarteng is that uh, they're going to go for a change in the law and make Britain's already uh, draconian anti-trade union laws even more draconian and anti-trade union. So at present, uh, what trade unions are required to do is ballot, and this is a postal uh, ballot with all the difficulties that has in terms of you know addresses going out of date 
getting lost in the post, people, you know, having to go to the post office to um, reply or post box, I should say. Uh, what is required at present is a 50% turnout and then a majority um, in terms of um, those that are, are voting. And what is being proposed is that um, you have to have um, at least 40% um, of, um, of, of uh, your members voting uh, for strike action. And also what's being added is the idea that with each pay offer uh, that the employers make, uh, you've got to re-ballot uh, the membership. Now, I don't know how much that costs, but I would have thought myself, knowing the price uh, of postage, it will cripple uh, some trade unions. And you can imagine the situation with some employers uh, simply playing a, a game of cat and mouse, um, that uh, they start with a bad offer, uh, you ballot, you get your, your majority for strike action, and then they make um, an improved offer. You have to go back. Uh, this delays things for a month. Uh, you get your majority, and then they make another pay um, offer. Um, so I don't know whether that's the aim, uh, but I can certainly see that being the effect that you end up, certainly with smaller trade unions, uh, crippling them uh, financially and adding uh, uh, to that, what we've also got uh, is the idea, uh, and I don't know whether that's going to be obligated on the employers or the unions, uh, but we've also got the promise, the threat of uh, maintaining what is called minimum service levels. In other words, you go on strike um, and the union must ensure uh, that the strike is ineffective, that enough people uh, can travel by tube or enough people can travel by the overground or the mainline uh, routes and one you know, post office uh, the, you're on strike but you've still got to make sure that the post is is delivered um, who knows uh, whether it will get through uh, parliament uh, one would have thought so though wouldn't one uh, with an 80 uh, majority what will the trade unions do well i've seen them uh, protest uh, in my youth I remember, um, first of all, the Labour Party's proposals by that left winger, Barbara Castle, um, in place of strife, these were anti-trade union laws, but this was a bill and um, the trade unions, yes, uh, did protest. There was an organization formed called the Liaison Committee for the Defense of Trade Unions, and it had impressive uh, mass demonstrations in in London, and um, eventually, uh, you know, those proposals were abandoned. But what we saw is the Labour Party defeated, and uh, Ted Heath coming in with his own uh, anti-trade union laws, and he got that through Parliament, and it became the Industrial Relations Act. And um, when it was first implemented on a serious level. Uh, my memory was uh, that uh, trade union turnout in terms of ballots were uh, a huge, huge level. But crucially, um, what we had is five dockers who deliberately defied the law, openly defied the law. Uh, they were arrested. They were sent to Pentonville jail. And uh, there was a, a, a mass wave of uh, protest 
uh, strikes culminating in the threat from the TUC uh, to call a one day general strike unless they were released. And I can remember going down uh, to Pentonville jail uh, to see them uh, released. And of course it was triumph um, for the labor movement, um, a humiliation uh, for Ted Heath, who later went um, to the country in 1974 in the midst of a miners' strike and said, who rules? Is it the trade unions or is it the elected government? And of course, what we got instead of Ted Heath's government is a Labour government. Should we expect a similar uh, rerun of um, the late 60s, early 70s now? Well, we should fight uh, for that. Now, it's true that the trade union movement is a lot weaker, and we're not just talking about absolute numbers, we're talking about relative numbers as well. So the size of the workforce is something like doubled, and the size of the trade union movement, meanwhile, has something like halved. So the trade union movement um, is considerably weaker now, but you can rebuild, you can rebuild precisely under these circumstances of um, you know, wage cuts, attacks on uh, the working class, both its living standards, but also its democratic right uh, to withdraw uh, labor. Um, you can rebuild the trade union movement, but you have to rebuild it in the spirit of militancy, uh, not uh, in the spirit of um, this isn't fair, um, or, you know, um, some sort of plea uh, to the ranks of the uh, Tory party in Parliament or something along uh, those lines. I, I don't see that landing on a fertile uh, land whatsoever. Okay. Meanwhile, uh, we have, of course, the Labour Party uh, conference and we have uh, the promise of uh, green growth. And this is clearly Keir Starmer and his advisors triangulating towards the Tories because the Tories mini budget um, is um, justified with the idea uh, that this will spark economic growth and Britain will soon be growing at 2.5% uh, a year. As I said, I, I don't see it. But Keir Starmer is basically going along uh, with the growth narrative, but trying to trump uh, quasi-Kutang on the basis of uh, this is going to be green growth. And of course, what we've got with his mini budget is all sorts of uh, loosening up uh, in terms of regulations and uh, what, what they would call red, red tape, uh, i.e. environmental uh, protection, um, as a, an example. Now, what else about the Tory uh, excuse me, the uh, Labour Party uh, conference. Well, of course, what we had, as, as was um, telegraphed, uh, we had uh, Keir Starmer paying tribute to um, uh, the dead Elizabeth Windsor, telling us what a marvellous um, individual uh, she was, and to show the Labour Party's royalist uh, credentials, um, we had... Um, God save uh, the king. As I understand it, some um, people in the Labour Party uh, handed out the words just in case people uh, didn't know them. Um, we advised people for what it's worth uh, to sing um, the guillotine, uh, God bless the guillotine written by 
a, an American French um, citizen uh, to the same words. I don't know if anyone did. Uh, we also advise people to walk out. I don't know if people did, but I didn't see any evidence of it uh, myself. And I didn't hear any evidence of um, booing, which would have been very welcome um, in, in terms of uh, the end of God Save the King. Um, and it has to be said um, that um, in terms of the character um, of the Labour Party, and we wait to see um, well, we wait to hear reports of uh, the Liverpool, Liverpool conference. Clearly, the left has suffered uh, a big, big uh, defeat. And it also has to be said that the left's, the left of the Labour Party's republicanism, uh, with very few exceptions, has been of the platonic uh, sort, i.e. this is almost a personal belief. So with Jeremy Corbyn, I think he's quite typical of that platonic republicanism. He was attacked, if you remember, was it in 2015, if I'm not wrong, or somewhere way back then for, for not singing the words uh, of the national anthem? Was he mouthing it or, do, you know, or did he keep his mouth shut? Uh, I don't know. Um, either way, what we had um, in the um, last two Labour Party manifestos, the general election manifestos, was some sort of um, proposal to review the monarchy. It was nothing uh, Republican uh, there. Um, you know, it was along the lines. That was the implication. It was along the lines of what seems to be um, in um, Charles uh, III's mind, some sort of slimmed down monarchy. And that's about it, as far as I uh, can gather. So this isn't the same as the late Tony Benn, and I'm not talking about him being dead, I'm talking about in his uh, last year or so in Parliament, Benn, for example, put forward uh, a bill um, calling for a Commonwealth, uh, and he wasn't talking about um, uh, the uh, replacement for the British Empire, he was talking about the Commonwealth in, you know, in line with um, Oliver Cromwell, more that sort of type thing. Abolition of the monarchy, abolition of the House uh, of Lords and other radical changes um, along those lines. Of course, Ben wasn't uh, a revolutionary. He was always a, a reformist. But you compare uh, Ben uh, with his, um, you know, bill uh, to abolish the monarchy and a bill for radical democratic reform with what uh, um, Corbyn was putting forward, uh, and it's chalk and cheese. Uh, ben was a Republican, you know, uh, not necessarily deepest red, not a revolutionary uh, Republican, but he was a Republican. Uh, with um, uh, Corbyn, uh, what we get is, well, this is my private uh, uh, view, not something to be fought for um, in a general election, not something to champion, uh, not something to agitate for. And it has to be said uh, that for most of the left, um, that can also be said. Uh, so when there's a funeral, when there's a coronation, when there's a marriage, they come out with their republicanism. But when it comes to elections, when it comes to, um, you know, um, uh, their programme, um, suddenly, uh, republicanism 
um, goes down the agenda to the point of disappearing. And that's why I think it's perfectly legitimate um, and indeed necessary uh, to call those comrades platonic uh, Republicans. Okay, so just a thought. Um, if we look at what the uh, Tories um, are doing, here's the argument that Keir Starmer will be using to the trade unions, to militant trade unionists, uh, of why you should vote Labour. Um, yes, sure, I'm not turning out on a picket line. I'm maintaining an, an Olympic uh, detachment uh, from the day-to-day -day, uh, class struggle. Um, but who would you prefer, Liz Truss uh, and her um, Thatcherite or neo-Thatcherite uh, Chancellor or Keir Starmer, who's someone you could sit down and have a sensible negotiation with? Uh, who would you prefer? Someone who will restore the highest uh, um, you know, level of um, um, income uh, tax or, or those that are committed to even further uh, cuts in the taxation um, on the richest in society, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. In other words, here's uh, the dilemma that we all face uh, come a general election in what is still, in England at least, a two-party uh, system. Do you want the Tories or do you want Labour? And of course, if we want Labour, this is going to be, and I, I'm still of the opinion, uh, that the chances are that it will be uh, Labour in spite of all the comrades telling us a year or so ago how, how useless Keir Starmer was, how he's only interested in fighting the left, how he's not interested in beating the Tories. My prediction for what it's worth is still um, a Labour government in 2024, but this will be the most right-wing um, Labour government um, in history. Um, that, that's something I... Uh, I would expect. Okay, what else have we got? Well, of course, what we have uh, is the witch hunt continues. Uh, we've had the election, a very welcome election, I have to say, of Naomi Wimborne Adrissi uh, to the National Executive Committee. This is without the support of uh, Momentum, who didn't want to touch her, apparently because of her views on trans rights. I don't believe a word on that. No, because she's in the uh, Jewish voice for Labour. Uh, she is someone who calls out uh, this uh, lie, this big lie about the Labour Party suffering a crisis of anti-Semitism. There's no crisis of anti-Semitism in the Labour Party. Uh, what there is, is still uh, a residual anti-Zionism uh, in uh, the Labour Party. And of course, that's the reality uh, of why uh, she's being suspended. Uh, and as she says herself, um, well, what a coincidence. It's also when um, Al Jazeera um, has come out with the first of three parts of a documentary, um, The Purge. I've watched the first part. Um, I don't think it's as good as the lobby, but on the other hand, there are three parts, two more parts to come. So I'm going to hold my judgment on that. And there's also another film which I'll be very interested in uh, looking at, and that's the the big lie uh, by Platform Films. And I think that's uh, Chris Reeves with the uh, 
is it Norman Thomas, I think, is the script writer um, on, on that film. So that's really good uh, that uh, we, we've got a response from the left. Chris Reeves and Platform Films is from the left. Al Jazeera, um, well, we all know about who finances that. Um, but the very fact that they produce the lobby um, and you compare that with uh, Panorama's so-called investigation. What was it with, with Wade? Um, uh, this is genuine um, investigative uh, journalism. It thoroughly exposed uh, the Jewish labor movement. It exposed their links with the Israeli embassy. It showed that this is a, an Israeli-sponsored um, operation not only to get the left, uh, but to get anyone who questions Israel. But of course, it's the left that was the main uh, target. And of course, it was Corbyn's leadership um, of uh, the Labour Party. And of course, the tragedy has been is that the left of the Labour Party, not only Momentum, but the Socialist Campaign Group, um, but also uh, in terms of the trade unions, haven't campaigned to expose this line. Indeed, with Jeremy Corbyn and um, uh, Jenny Formby, uh, the General Secretary of the Labour Party under most of uh, the time when Jeremy Corbyn was leader, went along with this witch hunt and even introduced this concept of denialism, that if you denied that there was a crisis, if you denied uh, that uh, the Labour Party was full of anti-Semites, that became a disciplinary offence in, in its own right, an absolute uh, disgrace. So while I would uh, unhesitatingly uh, call for solidarity uh, with uh, Corbyn and call for him to be reinstated into the parliamentary Labour Party so he can stand in what we'd expect to be the general election in 2024, uh, he ought to reciprocate. Uh, he ought to be standing up for all the thousands, and it must be thousands uh, that have fallen victim uh, to this witch hunt. And of course, you know, what the Al Jazeera thing does bring home, uh, in a way I suppose the lobby didn't, is the human cost um, on the victims um, of, of this witch hunt. You know, uh, it sent people uh, to the edge uh, of a nervous breakdown, and in um, some instances, of course, over the edge into uh, some sort of uh, mental breakdown. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, you have to feel uh, uh, for these people. Last thing to um, say on that is I think we are sadly lacking labour against the witch hunt. I know I get in my uh, email intray uh, emails from something called Law, uh, Labour Against the Witch Hunt, but it turns out to be not from Law, it turns out to be from the Socialist Labour Network uh, about their latest, um, usually, I'm sorry to say, inconsequential uh, meeting. Uh, because, of course, against our advice um, and against the advice of the leadership of Law, the majority of members uh, voted to merge uh, Labour Against the Witch Hunt with the, can't even remember the damn name um, of the organisation now, so excuse me. Uh, either way, uh, law was liquidated, but it hasn't taken, you know, but what's happened with this merger isn't 
you know, a strengthening. It's basically an abandonment um, of the Labour Party. So no solidarity uh, with Naomi, no solidarity with the latest round um, of the witch hunt, you know, the barring of delegates uh, in Liverpool, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So I think uh, that, uh, you know, while I don't hold out any uh, bright prospects uh, for transforming the Labour Party anytime soon, I do think we need a solidarity organisation uh, to fight back against and to expose uh, uh, this, um, this big lie. Uh, the name uh, of the documentary is, is well, well chosen. Okay, moving on, uh, wanted to touch on the um, Ukraine war. Putin has um, gone in for a mobilization. Uh, I've heard the figure of 300,000. Frankly, um, I'm surprised that it isn't more. And I'm still surprised that they didn't do it at the very beginning. Because when I looked at the, the military balance and the politics that were involved, and we were being told, as it turned out truthfully this time uh, by the security services in Britain and the United States that uh, Russia was going to invade uh, Ukraine. I mean, I didn't believe it, not just because we've been lied to uh, over Iraq, but I, I simply looked at 130,000 soldiers uh, stationed uh, in the north and just went, well, that isn't enough. That's nowhere near enough uh, if you're going to conquer uh, the whole of Ukraine. Um, OK, so what was Putin's um, strategy? It seemed to be repeat a repeat of Georgia. Um, in other words, you smash through, uh, you advance to the capital and you expect the government there to sue for peace. I, I don't know, um, but the government didn't sue uh, for peace. And what you saw... Uh, is not uh, Ukraine um, humiliated. What you saw is Russia humiliated. Phase one of the war ended in a Russian defeat and the promise uh, of opening up um, Second Front uh, by taking all uh, of the Donbass and one presumes extending uh, gains uh, in, in the South. So you saw that happen, but now of course what we've seen uh, is a Ukrainian counteroffensive, not so much in the south, where we've really only got villages being uh, retaken, but in the east, in the northeast in particular, uh, then we've seen cities fall. And it's in response to that, uh, I think, failure of uh, phase two um, of the military operation in Ukraine, I think, uh, that you've seen um, Putin respond uh, with uh, what I suppose would now be either from this point of view stage three or do you want to call it stage four? I don't mind. Either way, um, what it doesn't do is solve the problem of morale, a clear aim um, that Russian soldiers uh, are meant to be uh, fighting uh, for. Um, I mean, is it to rescue Russians in Ukraine? Is it to take the whole of Ukraine? Are Ukrainian people no different to Russian people? You know, what's the agenda? Um, we've also had um, nuclear uh, threats. 
uh, again, uh, this is made more complex, isn't it, with the um, referendums that are now uh, in progress. You can question these referendums. I think you'd be right uh, to question them. Um, you know, they weren't called with a um, huge time uh, to campaign on either side. Is there another side? No, of course uh, uh, there isn't. Uh, we know what the result will be. But the, the sort of idea that we're being given is that then Donbass um, and the South then become an integral part of the Russian Federation. And if you attack um, any part of the Russian Federation, then you're inviting uh, a nuclear uh, response. Well, if that's the case, then all I would say is that that hasn't happened with uh, the Crimea. And the Crimea has been an ex part of Russia um, you know, de facto, but also uh, in terms of uh, Russian law, um, I think since 2014, if I remember uh, correctly. Either way, we've seen attacks um, on ships um, stationed um, um, on the shores of um, Crimea. We've seen attacks on airfields. Uh, we've seen attacks on um, munitions. Uh, uh, storages and no uh, nuclear uh, response. But it does strike me, this is purely my own uh, opinion, is that um, uh, Putin's uh, days are numbered. Now, of course, that's true with all of us. We're all mortal. Um, none of us last forever. Uh, Putin is, what, 69 or, or thereabouts, purportedly is in ill health. I don't know. Either way, uh, my own feeling is uh, that it really wouldn't surprise me. Uh, I have no inside information, but it wouldn't surprise me if next week, the week after, we hear an announcement that uh, uh, Vladimir Putin has um, decided to step down as, as president and uh, will be um, convalescing um, in some sanatorium um, somewhere nice and warm. Um, and what will happen, of course, initially, uh, will be an insider uh, will uh, replace him. But that opens up the possibility of uh, either a colour revolution and, uh, you know, the return of someone like Navalny, you know, someone... Um, who would do a deal with the West along the lines of Yeltsin, in other words, a surrender, or potentially uh, what some uh, commentators are flagging um, is the rise of the, um, the Russian far right, um, who would have a much clearer um, ideological uh, agenda uh, than uh, what has been put on display uh, by Putin, at least thus, thus far. Um, so, um, what else have we got? Yes, okay. Um, but what I would say um, is if we do get uh, a regime um, insider, um, what the United States will be intent on doing uh, is still pursuing its strategic objectives, which is to disempower, maybe to dismember uh, the Russian Federation. So if you've read, um, is it The Great Chessboard uh, by Carter's uh, security? I think it was, wasn't security. He was a security advisor. Uh, but anyway, uh, Brzezinski, 
uh, his book, have a look at that. And that's saying that we should divide Russia up into three. That would be jolly good uh, for Russia, uh, he says. Um, but this would suit the United States. You um, disarm uh, Russia, you open it up for Western, um, how should we put it, entrepreneurs. Um, and also then what you would do is uh, you start taking over uh, the former um, Soviet republics in the south, the stands, uh, and this is part of your um, end game of um, doing down China. And of course, China's already been set up with Hong Kong, Tibet, Xinjiang, Taiwan. Um, uh, and if you can win in Russia, if you can um, disempower Russia, uh, that would clearly be a big step forward. But that is a huge ask. Whether that's possible, um, who knows? Either way, it's not a question of um, simply Putin goes and everything goes back to quote unquote normal. I, I think that's delusional. That's not, under, that's not to understand where we are at the present moment in history. And what we have at the present moment in history is a declining US hegemon uh, that is determined to do down challenges. And the only serious uh, challenger today uh, to US hegemony um, is China. Um, the idea that we've got in this week's Weekly Worker in the letters page that it's uh, the EU um, is just simply not serious. I mean, all we need to do is look at uh, the likely outcome of um, the general election in Italy, uh, the fact that they can't bring Hungary online, uh, Britain leaving the EU. Um, the EU is Ruritanian. It cannot cohere itself. Um, if Germany and France united Europe, or if Germany could, <laughs> could unite Europe, that would be a different matter. Uh, but that would have to take uh, a crisis of huge proportions and potentially war uh, to do that. And there's no prospect of that at the moment. So China is the only serious challenger uh, to the United States. And the United States will not be satisfied uh, until it sees the overthrow. Uh, of the current Chinese uh, regime and the disempowering uh, of uh, China. Last point in um, closing, uh, just thought I would mention the killing of Marsha Armini in um, um, Tehran. And of course, this was at the hands of the morality uh, police. Um, and it, it, it's provoked nationwide um, outrage. And I, I think that what this illustrates is the huge frustration that ordinary people experience under this regime and the hatred uh, that ordinary people have um, of this regime. So this is clearly a political um, response. Um, we've had, um, you know, demonstrations in Tehran. I've also been told that in some Kurdish areas, um, various towns have been taken over, but by who? Uh, I suspect by nobody, um, other than the fact that the police, the Revolutionary Guard, have been forced out temporarily um, um, of those towns. My own expectation um, is that uh, this protest will be crushed 
uh, we've had the army issuing a statement saying that it will side with the regime. And I'd simply say that until you get a situation of where you can split the army, um, you ain't going to see regime change. Um, that's not relying on the tops uh, in the army, but it does rely on work winning over uh, sections um, of the army. Uh, you need a split in the regime. Uh, again, this isn't an attempt to you know, triangulate towards the regime, uh, but you need a split uh, in the regime, and that needs to be a split that goes into the um, armed forces. And of course, the crucial question, um, it's no surprise from, from us, uh, is that the left um, in Iran is extraordinarily weak, in part, of course, because of oppression, we can't forget that, but it's also extraordinarily weak politically. And um, what we have is a section of the left, and you, you have to put it in inverted commas, uh, that would prefer regime change delivered via the United States to the present regime. Well, all I would say is look at Iraq before you pursue that particular uh, line. Uh, but the, the other sections of the left are sort of mired in some sort of popular frontism, um, you know, precisely seeking out an alliance with sections of the bourgeoisie. Uh, what you haven't got um, is anything resembling a revolutionary party. And it's only with a revolutionary party uh, can you seriously talk about splitting um, the um, enemy state and winning? Because, of course, the purpose isn't to have a big demonstration. The purpose is uh, to win. So it's really inspiring to see uh, people come out on, on the streets. As I understand it, something like 30 people have already been killed officially. Um, so these people are incredibly uh, uh, brave. Um, but the key question uh, is precisely organization, 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 organization. And that's what the economic protests have lacked. And, and this is what these political protests um, have, have lacked thus far. That's it. Thanks, Adam.